You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ family of churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. Good morning, good morning, good morning, everyone. My name is Kenny Zuchuku, and I'm one of the ministers here in the West Side Church. Welcome to our online worship service. It's been so great so far, and uh, it's just it's an honor to be able to share the word with you today. And it's also a great time because I'm going to be talking about something that's been it's pretty meaningful to me, and I hope it can be meaningful to you. And I know I can't see you right now. I know we can't connect right now. But as time goes on, I really hope that you can still interact in the chat and be able to connect with me, even though I can't actually physically see you. Um, but I do want to hopefully come back in person at some point and see all your faces. So please connect in the chat. Also, if it's on your heart, send this message to someone who might be in need. Um, and as I was preparing for this, this message, there's a story that I could think of in, in relation to the scripture I'm going to be launching from today in Isaiah and I remember being in middle school, and there's a, a girl I really liked. It was my first true crush, and she was so athletic, and she was funny, and she was interesting. But I kid you not, I did not say more than maybe 15 words to her. I was so nervous around her. And we also had a culture in, in sixth grade where uh, a lot of our friends were just asking people to to go out with them and to be boyfriend and girlfriend. And I just remember thinking, I want that. I want to do that too. So I talked to some of her friends and they're like, they gave me the green light and they like, go ask her. And um, I remember thinking like, I'm going to plan it or she's going to leave class. I'm going to, I'm going to find her. I'm going to talk to her. I'm going to ask her out. So I planned it all in my head. And I remember getting to that day and getting nervous. So I kept postponing it. Um, and then eventually I did it. I remember pulling her aside and like, Hey Kelsey. And she's like, Oh, Hey Kenny. And I was like, well, um, I, uh, and I just stuttered so much. And to this day, I don't remember exactly what I said, but eventually it came out and I asked her and her response, I'll never forget her response was, I need to talk to my parents. And I was thinking, oh my gosh. And that's when I realized I'm in sixth grade. Of course you need to talk to your parents. I, I thought maybe I might get away with that. I don't know. I wasn't even thinking that far. But I remember she let me down easy. She came back and told me her parents said no and, and all that stuff. And, and I just remember afterwards just feeling so down and out of it and just thinking like, what did I do? And I was so embarrassed. And again, mind you, I didn't say more than 15 words to her. So it was very superficial. Um, but I remember just being closed off. And I remember afterwards, I didn't make time to process. I didn't allow others in my life to help me process. And I didn't give my heart a chance to learn from that heartbreak, from that rejection. I remember going months just avoiding her and not talking to any of her friends who were traitors. They, tell them they gave me the green light and then she rejected me. Uh, but ultimately what I learned after I eventually got open and talked to people and shared with my family and friends, I learned that I often don't make room for growth because of fears, because of insecurities, because of whatever. I can, I can kind of try to siphon off my heart and to protect it. But by doing that, I don't make room for growth. And today we're continuing our series called Higher. And it comes out of Isaiah 55. And um, it's just been an amazing time as we've been talking about how God's thoughts and his ways are higher than our thoughts and our ways. And, and I was selected to talk about being, like, ha- having higher growth. 
And in Isaiah 55, verse 13, it reads this. Instead of a thorn bush will grow the juniper. And instead of the briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown and for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. It's just such an encouraging verse as God is basically saying that growth will happen. And I don't know if you guys know what a thorn bush is or a briar. I'm not a botanist, so I had to look it up. And, and basically the thorn bush and briar, they're, they're just thorny plants. They're prickly. They, they kind of hurt. So what God's saying through the prophet Isaiah is that I'm going to, I'm going to clear that away. I'm going to make room so that we can have a juniper grow and a myrtle grow, which you'll, you'll see here on the slide. And it's just so beautiful in the cre, the creation of what God has been able to do through plants. It's so awesome. But I think it really connects with our lives as well. And I'm, I know many of you guys can relate. And I think this is what often happens. We can tend to hyper-focus our minds, our thoughts on problems and issues that we don't, that we don't make room in our lives to grow. We don't make room in our lives to see the growth God is already doing. So the title of my lesson is simple. Make room for growth. Make room for growth, and if we're going to go higher with God, then we've got to make room for growth. And I have three quick thoughts. I try to make this as quick and simple as possible, and then you can enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Number one, make room in your life. Number two, make room in the church. Number three, make room in your heart. Let's bow our heads and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for bringing us here together. We're so grateful to have this opportunity to come before you. I come before you just humbled and trying my best to be able to give my best through your word. And it's such a great opportunity, Lord, as I speak about growth, something that's so near and dear to me, Lord. And I pray that everyone here listening can see that you want them to grow in some way, in some shape, in some form. You want them to grow because growth really brings light to who you are and how amazing you are, Lord. So thank you again for this time, and I pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Let's open our Bibles to Colossians 3. We're going to be reading Colossians and talking through how the Apostle Paul is able to communicate this idea of growth. So Colossians 3 verse 1, remember the thought number one, make room in your life. It reads, Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated, at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, Sexual morality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. You know, the church in Colossae was dealing with a philosophical issue. And they had people inside 
who were maybe Judaizers or they may be paganists, and they were trying to come in and rip the church apart. And we see that in Colossians 2 verse 8, which says, See to it that no one takes you captive through the hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition. So Paul is addressing this issue in the church, and he's trying to help the Colossians see that they've been raised with Christ. And he's attempting to help these disciples see that they need to put to death whatever belongs to their earthly nature. Which is a tall task, right? It's difficult to even think about doing such a thing. And I know that oftentimes in our lives it's very hard to feel like we can do that. It seems impossible. But I want to focus in on one word here. And that word, lust. And in the Greek, it comes from pathos. Pathos, that's where we get pathological from. And it means that which is endured or experienced also means suffering. Now bear in mind, there are many other words that Paul could have used to describe lust. But here he chooses this Greek word, pathos. In other words, he's trying to communicate that there's something in your life in which if you don't have it, will cause incredible amount of pain and anguish, almost like a drug where you have to have it, you need to have it. If you don't have it, you're going to suffer. And that's the sense that we get as he's describing this word lust, and he's saying, put that to death. Now, here's what I know about you. I don't even know you, but here's what I know about you without even knowing you. It's remarkably easy to treat God Jesus, our faith in Christ as an add-on in our life because of the things that we tend to prioritize or idealize. I'll repeat, it's remarkably easy to treat God or Christ, our faith, as an add-on into our life because of the things that we tend to prioritize or idealize. And, you know, part of me is like, I, I can't blame you for that. You walk outside and you see billboards, you turn on your phone, you have social media and constant images and things clamoring for your attention, for your focus. We're inundated by all these things all the time. Education, career, raising children, having fun, you name it. Our schedules are packed. And I'm not talking about those who aren't Christians. I'm talking about Christians as well. Our schedules are packed all the time. This is West Los Angeles. We are grow- we're we have the growth mindset. We need to claim things for ourselves. We need to build our way up and build our empire. And over time, this is what tends to happen. We have this habit of just adding Jesus into our life when it's convenient, when we need a little need a little high in our life. And instead of practicing Christianity, we begin practicing what I call syncretism. And this is the combining and blending of different beliefs and practices of several originally distinct traditions and philosophies, especially through religion. When we live this way, we begin to lose sight of the gospel of Christ. Because we no longer serve God. And we begin to serve our feelings, our wants, 
and our desires, let me be clear. You will never be able to fit God into your life if you want to be a Christian. Instead, you must make him the priority of your life. You will never be able to fit God into your life. Instead, you must make him the priority of your life. And this is why Paul is pleading with the church as they're going through this controversy and having the different philosophies and the theologies come into the church to battle against the Christians. He's pleading at them and reminding them, your life is now hidden with Christ. You can't, you can't no longer just add him in there when you're feeling good. You're now bonded. You're yoked. You're connected with Christ. When people look at your life, do they see Christ? Or does it take them a while to figure it out? Is it immediately obvious to yourself when you wake up and look in the mirror and to others that see throughout the day that you've been raised with Christ? Church, we must make room in our lives for growth. There's no amount of scheduling, there's no amount of work, there's no amount of anything that will replace putting Jesus at the center. Open your schedules, open your lives, and make room for growth. Thought number two, let's keep reading. Colossians 3, verses 6 through 11, it says this, Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things, as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with his practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and in the image of its creator. Here. There is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Paul is continuing to make his point to the church. He's like, we need to stay together. We don't want to revert back to those sinful ways. Remember, you are now hidden with Christ and being resurrected with the identity of knowing God. But he says something that was incredibly inclusive and mind-blowing for the time. No Jew or Gentile. Circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Church, can I be honest with you just for a moment here? I know none of you guys can actually give me feedback, so I'm going to just assume yes, and I'm going to tell you anyway. Sometimes it feels like we have a very hard time making room for people who are different from us. In our congregation. So church can become a place where we get comfortable with those who share our cultural expressions of faith. Rather than a place where we foster and embrace many different types of 
cultural expressions of the gospel. A place where we go and participate in echo chambers to hear what we want to hear, rather than going in a place where we hear what we need to hear. I love this quote. It's a book I read. Why are all the black kids sitting together in the cafeteria? Really good book by Beverly Daniel Tatum. It says this. The extremes of ethnocentrism and nationalism have no place for those in Christ. Amen. I think that's pretty clear. Paul is not making that point here, right? He's saying we're all one. We're all in Christ. Beverly goes further though and says this. Believers must also be wary of the opposite extreme of leaving no room for biblical expressions of cultural pride. And I remember reading this excerpt and there's a story about a bunch of black children at school. And they've been raised up in kind of tough homes and they were in this small little group of, and they, they would hang out and they would like, they like to wear hats. And that was their thing. And, and then some of the older ministers would invite them to church. And then when they invite them to church, they'd be like, you need to take off your hat. So the kids are like, I'm not taking off their, my hat. I've got like a do-rag on. I, I'm like, I, I wore this for a reason. So they would stop. They wouldn't go to church. They would stop coming to church. And eventually, that younger generation became alienated. They felt like they couldn't express themselves in a way that was clearly debatable in Scripture. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that amazing? Isn't that ridiculous? Sometimes I feel like that's how we treat people in our church. They have a different way of doing things. And we find our way, we find, we sometimes find ourselves pushing on this cultural expression that we have about our faith, which is great and which is fine, but to the detriment of someone else who's trying to find a home with Christ. I want to give a huge shout out here to Naomi Stefan. She's one of our campus students at UCLA, also one of our interns in the campus ministry, and she spear, she is spearheading this Baldwin Hills tutoring program, which is a predominantly geared to help young minorities, particularly blacks and Hispanics, in their education. And I've seen this as a great example of a way we can heed Paul's words and remember that Christ is all and is in all. And it provides a way for our church to connect with not only the next generation of minorities, but we're connecting to God's children who may not look like us, who may not think like us, who may not have the same cultural expressions as us, but they are looking for more than just what the world has to offer. And this is such a great way. So I'm so grateful for Naomi and spearheading that. And I pray that we can realize how important this is. And I love this quote by Vince Bonte, who's a professor at Fuller, uh, Fuller Theological Seminary. He says this, It is imperative for Christians who come from cultures where Christianity is culturally pervasive, like American culture, like West L.A. culture, 
to give space for believers who experience cultural alienation from the gospel. Are you willing to make room for those who don't look like you, those who don't talk like you, those who don't share the same cultural expressions of faith as you, especially when it's inconvenient? Okay, now I know we've gone through two main things here, and there's probably a lot in your minds, but bear with me here. We're about to come in for a landing, and I know some of you are who are dutiful are already on board. You're like, all right, fine, I'm going to make room in my life. I'm going to make room in the church. And then some of you are like a little, maybe you're a little skeptical. You're like, why should I make room in my schedule? I'm really busy. I already give God like, you know, 15 minutes a week. Or why should I make room in the church? I like being comfortable. I like connecting with those who share the same cultural expressions as me. I do I need to really open myself up for others? I hope this final takeaway can help because I really believe that if we want to go higher, we not only need to make room in our lives, we not only need to make room in the church, but most importantly, we need to make room in our hearts. Let's turn over to Colossians 3 and we'll close out in three, chapter 3, verse 12 to 14. It reads, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And all of these virtues put on Love, and over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. As God's chosen people, and Paul is coming in for a landing here as he's helping the Colossians with this idea and notion of how can we be united, how can we love, how do we interact with each other, and this phrase, to put on Love. Remember, we've already learned that we've got to be hidden with Christ, right? And he's saying now to put on love. And I instantly thought of Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus is with this huge crowd of people. And he's trying to explain to the crowd, you've heard that it was said, right? You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you in the greatest way that I've seen. The greatest way that I think many of you have seen to put on this love that Paul is talking about is when we choose to love our enemies. We choose to love our enemies. And sometimes it can be easy to get confused on what what does it mean? What do we mean by enemies? How does that even play a factor in a role? And I think sometimes our enemies can be seen as people who are the worst people in the world. So then some of us don't even consider others as enemies, right? We're like, no one's that bad. But what if your enemy is just someone who disagrees with your opinion? Someone who has a different perspective than you. Maybe it's someone that you've lost respect for. 
when I was an undergrad at UCLA, I had three different campus ministers in my four, three and a half years there. And one of them really, really got on my nerves. Now, since I had three, I don't have to tell you who it is. And you can put the pieces together if you know me well enough. But I wholeheartedly disagreed with how he ran our ministry. Now, just imagine being in a campus ministry and disagreeing with the way it's being run. Maybe some of you guys have experienced that yourselves. Maybe not. Who knows? But the point is, I didn't like him very much. It was I mean, the thing that he was doing wasn't necessarily wrong, but I just felt like there are better way, there's a better way to do things. And I remember we had a lot of verbal fights, and we'd go back and forth, and he would say some insensitive things where um, I felt disrespected, and I would say some insensitive things where he felt demeaned or disrespected. But, but through, through that relationship, he taught me something that I hadn't really learned until I met him. It was one of the greatest lessons in my life, and I remember after uh, we had a, uh, after we were having a, a D time with each other and connecting. Um, I remember going to him and just kind of expressing how I felt exhausted because at that point, even though we had a difficult relationship, I still was fighting. I'm like, okay, I'll make room in my life. Okay, I'll make room in the church. I'll be more inclusive. Um, but he said to me. Uh, after I expressed how exhausted I was feeling, how I'm doing all these things, but I just kind of want to retreat and just kind of get get away. He said to me something that I feel like I'll never forget. And he said, you need to increase your capacity to love. You need to increase your capacity to love. And I'm thinking, here I am, giving what I feel like is my all. And this guy, who really bothers me, could be considered my enemy, is telling me something that I don't want to hear, but I needed to hear. Because if you look through Colossians 3, and he says, Forgive us, the Lord forgave you. We look through Matthew 5, he says, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. One thing that we don't see in these verses is an overemphasis on feelings. Paul and Jesus weren't thinking of love as a feeling. I'm sorry, this might be offensive for many of you. Love was an action. It was devotion. It was a decision to say, despite how I feel, I'm going to be hidden with Christ. I'm going to clothe myself with compassion and kindness. And I'm going to choose to love the people that I don't want to love, that I don't feel like loving. And when he said those words to me, I, I broke down. I cried. I was like, this is... I don't know if I can do that. And that was the point. That was the point. You see, you can make room in your lives easily. Many of you guys are good schedules. You can change that up. You can make room in the church. Just try to find someone new to talk to. But until you make room in your heart for growth, we don't realize how overwhelmingly difficult it is. And we don't get to a place, place in our hearts where we're like, I don't know if I can do that. This is difficult. We don't get to a place where we have to rely on God. 
and in all of Paul's communication to the church in Colossae. He's trying to help them remember, don't rely on the philosophies. Don't rely on the theologians. Don't rely on all these um, structures that could be destroying your faith. Remember, you need to rely on God. That's hard for me, church. Is that hard for you? We live in a culture where if one person says anything wrong, they're destroyed. Cancel culture, right? We just throw them away. No forgiveness, no love. We live in a culture where people will just post whatever they want on social media without even really thinking about the implications it's going to have. We live in a culture that has been telling us we have to feel love rather than act in love. Church, we must make room in our hearts to grow so that the God's word can penetrate. And we can not only know who he is, but we can know who we are through him. If only we could feel how much God loves us, how much he cares for us, how much his discipline shows that he wants to protect us, how much he wants to redeem the pain and suffering in our lives. If we could just tap into that and just make room in our hearts, I guarantee you will grow. And the best testament to this, the thing that's most inspiring through all of this, is realizing that Jesus made room in his heart for you, for me. When we made him the enemy by not following his word, when we make him the enemy by not doing what he says, obeying what the Creator has given us to do, He still chooses to say, I'm going to love them. And Paul's reminding us, if we are truly followers of Christ, not only do we make room in our lives, not only do we make room in the church, but we do that by making room in our hearts. I've got some action steps for you as we end out our time here. This week, Three quick things. One, make room in your schedule. Like I said earlier, many of us are so inundated by so many extracurricular activities that we don't have time to spend with God. When he says set set your mind on things above, I remember having a conversation with a few of our college students. I'm like, what do you think that means? And they're thinking, I don't really know. Maybe praying, maybe doing this. We, we, we don't even have the time to think about God. Because our schedules are so packed, open up your schedule. Give him the time that he deserves. Make room in your schedule. Number two, meet someone who is not like you. I know it's COVID and it's hard to really do that in person. But you can social distance, you can wear a mask, or you can go online and just ask and just meet someone new who doesn't look like you. Have someone in your home that you've never had before. When COVID's over, but some of you, maybe you're vaccinated, maybe, I don't know, you can socially distance outside somewhere just to be to safe. But the point is, actively try to meet someone who's not like you. And lastly, find someone in the church that you disagree with. Someone that maybe you've lost respect for. Someone that has a, you know they have a different perspective than you. Someone you disagree with and show them love. 
put on that love that Paul talks about. So in closing, thank you guys so much for coming to our worship service. I promise you that if we can just take our thoughts higher, if we can take our mindsets higher, we can take our love higher, this week can be an amazing time. And if we can follow those three quick principles to, to make room in your lives, to make room in the church, and to make room in your hearts, not only will we grow closer to God, but we'll be able to help others in the same way. Thank you. I love you. And have a great Sunday. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.